0: Yo, it was good it's uh well eh, close to the end of october on my end it's october 29th I think no on...
1: it is, it's still october 29th we actually started early enough for six more minutes
0: okay <laughs> uh yeah october 29th 2020 um real sankara hours this is real sankara hours um your favorite black marxist podcast uh political podcast political commentary punitry all that good stuff um yeah we got uh another free episode for y'all i mean it's you know we're close to the election and uh things just continue to suck
1: less less than one more week i literally stood in an hour and a half in 40 degree wet weather to vote for someone who hates me and everything i stand for
0: so yeah will we'll be talking about that and um, another uh, police shooting this time in Philadelphia. So fo- follow us at Suncar Hours on Twitter, and please support us. Um, become a patron; five dollars a month gets you bonus content with bonus interviews, theory readings, other good stuff. Support us at patreoncom slash hours. Support independent Black media, and also support the other folks at the of the Resistance Dwa, um crew so anyway just wanted to give the rest of the crew a shout out i'm adam hudson follow me at adam hudson5 on twitter
1: i'm peter m gun follow me or don't follow me at m peter i'm a little over twitter i think i say that every week though
0: yeah and it just sucks you right back in
1: well now i have to be on it <laughs> for this for this stuff but yeah also to see well this is a horrible transition to see videos like the one that came out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, I don't, was it, it was yesterday or two days ago when it actually happened? I,
0: th- I think it was two days ago. Um, so yeah, this is the case of Walter Wallace Jr. Um, he, uh, another black man who was killed by police. Um, so shot, this was, this was shot um,
1: down in front of his mother. Yeah.
0: So this is, uh i think this is this happened on monday today is thursday but it happened this week earlier it happened earlier this week um yeah yeah, walter wallace jr was having um a mental health episode so the family called i believe they called an um an ambulance but uh and he he had he had actually received mental health treatment days before his death so Um, the city, I mean, the city knew that he had, like, mental health issues, but, um, yeah, he, yeah, he was treated at, uh, the West Philadelphia Consortium, which is a mental health crisis response center. Um, and, uh, so I guess his, um, mental health state got worse, so they, I think the family, um, I'm trying to look up more of the details, but, um, okay, so... During okay, police. I'm reading an article from the Philadelphia Inquirer. So it said, Police didn't summon the center during any of the calls to the Wallace home one day, nor did Wallace's family. When someone calls 911 to, to report a mental health crisis, the dispatcher is supposed to flag the call to the city's mental health emergency hotline, which then dispatches one of the city's three mobile crisis units to the scene. Um, but uh, so, this is, yeah, so. So, yeah, so basically they were calling in response to a mental health episode, and then the cops showed up. Um, I'm still looking at more of the details, but basically, yeah, he was having a mental health episode. And in the video, like, he looks clearly erratic. And, um, the police in the video are telling him to drop a knife, and then they shoot him. So, he was 27 years old. Um,. And in the video, like, yeah, because, Peter, you saw the video, too. It didn't look like he was, like, lunging or charging.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. All the headlines were, like, knife wielding, which, great job, Philly PD, doing the best uh, you always can. Uh, Yeah, but if you look at the video, it's pretty clear that, like, the police are never in danger, and they just, I mean, it's, it's the Philadelphia Police Department, um, they you know perpetrators of the famous move bombing yep. which burned down an entire city block and i actually went to philadelphia just to visit last year and i went to the site of the move bombing and they, it's only now just being rebuilt for 30 mm. years it was basically burned out also i was kind of wandering from like the where the Liberty bell and that stuff is and i ended up in front of the Philadelphia police headquarters, which one is the most testicular building you will ever see. I mean it is just like two giant no note, circular nodes attached together, like extremely testicular. But then in front, I kid you not, is a statue of a a bronze statue of a policeman holding a clearly like blonde haired child. Oh wow. Yes, commissioned by, of course, Frank Rizzo, the notoriously uh, fascist mayor of of Philadelphia back in the 70s. And so that is, yeah, that's the history of Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia police. Uh, but of course Philadelphia itself is always is perhaps one of the most <laughs> radical cities in the country, I think it's yeah. fair to
0: say. Yeah, just some history uh, even my own personal history with Philadelphia. I have family out in Philadelphia and uh one of my relatives did some digging and apparently on my maternal grandfather's side, uh, they they actually uh ran away from slavery into Philadelphia because Philadelphia yeah. was a center of abolition. So I have family yeah. I have family in the Philadelphia area still to this day.
1: Yeah, it's one of the, like, earliest homes of a free black community, and it has, yeah, one of the longest histories of having, like, a free black neighborhood of, you know, through the entire history of the country. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me that, like, you know, Philadelphia reacted in kind, and I was a little worried that this was some sort of setup, but it actually seems that, uh, that like, uh, that the the media is not covering it. They I guess they don't think that riots this time are that important or something. Yeah. Or or you know, the that's just past passe a man's played out. But of course, everyone's favorite presidential candidate still has a comment on it.
0: Yeah. And and just to get some details clear, so um apparently the family called 911 but the so I'm reading through this Philadelphia Inquirer article, and basically the Philadelphia police do not have their own mental health unit, whereas there's a separate mental health unit, and there's like no coordination between the two. So there there was this uh, before we get to the, the fucking um, Joe Biden quote. There was this uh, police officer on Twitter. Um, hold on, let me let me find it. Okay, here we go. There's this police officer on Twitter who said, I'm black, I'm a cop, I've also had hours of de-escalation training.
1: Hours!
0: (laughs) With that said, no matter your color, mental status, prior condition, or mood, if you run at me with a knife, I will shoot you. Which he
1: was not doing. Right, he wasn't, in
0: the video, he wasn't running. He was
1: clearly not running at the police with a
0: knife.
1: So, uh, you know cops once again
0: but this tweet i mean he's yeah if you run at me with a knife i will shoot you many times the end and then hashtag philadelphia hashtag philly riots hashtag blue lives matter and here's the thing that tweet just proves that one the training doesn't work and two you shouldn't send police to respond to someone with a mental health crisis so it's like i don't know what point he was trying to make but the point he was making Actually, justifies the people calling for defunding the police.
1: Well, the point he's trying to make is that people become cops because they want to kill people.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's really like the only kind of like logical conclusion you can draw from that is yeah people a lot of people become a lot of people become cops because they want to kill people. But it just it, it would his tweet alone is a case for defunding the police. Um yeah. And Joe Biden uh yeah he he addressed the protests and the um so-called rioting people basically people being pissed off in philadelphia i mean at this point we've been we've been seeing a lot of rioting in this country the past couple of months so i
1: I think they hit a walmart so you know clearly it's time to send in the in the army not once you come for our walmart sir
0: no you got to send in the marines for that one yeah
1: exactly Delta squadron yeah um, but so yes.
0: here's what, so here's what joe biden said he said uh there is no excuse whatsoever for the looting and the violence none whatsoever i think to be able to protest is totally legitimate totally reasonable um yeah that's pretty much what joe biden i think he was um he said it, oh he said it outside of a polling station in Willing- wilmington delaware and uh let me look up actually peter you keep talking I, i'm oh, gonna look i
1: was just gonna say it's very funny that that is the only complete sentence that joe biden seems to be able to make in the past couple of weeks because you know he, his brain has been a uh, not i mean it's it's it is what it is and well people say it's like a biden presidency uh, knock on for micah or whatever i have around me won't be entertaining but it will be entertaining because He doesn't know how to talk, but except, of course, when he's dealing with white racial resentment and then he's completely and totally lucid, Uh, you know, he's back in it because that's where he makes his bones, is channeling it back into the Democratic Party. So, of course, of course, that's the thing that he's, you know, can come out strong on, but everything else, it's like, yo, you, you... Here's the thing folks you, you got to remember that when this when this happens voting and uh i i, I don't know I'm sorry I have said <laughs>
0: So here's a statement that uh Joe Biden and Kamala Harris released um in reaction to um uh the shooting the cop shooting of uh Walt, Walter Wallace Jr. <clears throat> they say our hearts are broken for the family of Walter Wallace Jr. And for those suffering the emotional weight of learning about another black life in America lost. I mean, that's a very, in, like, kind of indirect, like, oh, did it, that black life just happened to be lost. It wasn't, like, it was no, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't, like, an act of, like, direct killing. It, it was... It just,
1: it just, it was in your pocket. Yep, and exactly. It,
0: uh, we, that cannot, go? we cannot, we cannot, they continue... We cannot accept that in this country a mental health crisis ends in death. Yeah, I wonder how it ended in death. It makes the shock and grief and violence of yesterday's shooting that much more painful, especially for a community that has already endured so much trauma. Okay, who did the shooting?
1: Uh, Uh, You you know, the bullet just kind of came out of... Nobody pulled
0: the trigger, you know. The statement goes on. Walter Wallace's life, like too many others, was a black life that mattered to his mother, to his family, to his community, to all of us. At the same time, no amount of anger at the very real injustices in our society exc- excuses violence. Attacking police officers and vandalizing small businesses, which are already struggling during a pandemic, does not bend the moral arc closer to justice. Oh, this is really interesting appropriation of, of Martin Luther King's. Uh, quote yeah. right there. Okay. Um.
1: I, I, and, and what does, and how have you been bending the moral arc towards justice?
0: Um, <laughs> using prison that's, labor to, ca- uh, fight cal- California's yeah, al- wildfires. Also,
1: also you also, that's not even how the quote works. It's not like we're out there grabbing the arc and pulling it down. Bend, damn you. No, it's supposed to bend of its own accord. So whether or not, like, we do something. You know, it's not like that's that's not that's not putting it on the right. That's not bending the arc correctly. You got to do it. this. No, that's see, see. Yeah, no, these are this is this is he, yeah,
0: he, he, g- it continues. So they say it hurts our fellow citizens. Looting is not a protest. It is a crime. It draws attention away from the real tragedy of a life cut short. As a nation, we are strong enough to meet both the challenges of real police reform, including implementing a national use of force standard, and to maintain peace and security in our communities. That must be our American mission. This is, this is how, That is how we will deliver real justice. All Donald Trump does is fan the flames of division in our society. He is c- incapable of doing the real work to bring people together. We will we are all praying for the entire wallace family and for our nation that we may move toward healing that was there and of course like okay so apparently like donald trump is fanning the flames of division that led to the cops shooting um walter wallace which means that like you know so apparently if biden harris Get in, then police brutality is going to be over, right? The the, the guy who wrote the yeah. f- ninety four crime bill and yeah, so and and uh, for, and, and I guess like it, just, it this just happened was... like under Trump, right? It didn't happen like under Obama or like Bush or any other president. This is this is all Trump's fault, right?
1: And and it didn't and it didn't happen in a state with a Democratic governor and a Democratic right. mayor. Um, that didn't happen. No, I swear to God, if I hear one more motherfucker who, like, loves, who's never met a cruise missile, they didn't, like, talk about healing, I like, that's the shit that really makes me hot. Like, there's no healing America. Like, none of these wounds, like, America can't even let the wounds fucking close. Like, it has to, because it needs fresh blood, it must be replenished with blood. Like... That is how the system works. It survives off of blood. Sorry, but it's true. Since 1776, it needs blood. So this idea that like it's going to heal, what are you talking about? Like, Do people realize that they're just making words up now? They're just putting words together in sentences? What healing are you talking about? When has America ever healed from Well, anything?
0: you know what we did after slavery, right? White people and black people, yeah. we got in a circle and we hugged it out, and racism ended. Well, and well, then they, Donald Trump I mean, got in office, and boom, racism is back. Well,
1: well, actually, I mean, they actually tried to achieve some measure of justice with yeah. Reconstruction. but yeah. that was too much. That was the bridge too far, and so then they formed. So then the planter class formed the Klan, so they could, you know, get their money yep. back, really, and also because they liked, you know beating up black people but also cuz they so they could get their money back. And yeah, like what do you mean? Journey, what do you mean healing? Like America's going to heal wow like how how can you heal when you have a thousand fucking military bases in 150 countries? That's not a thing that heals. Spe- that is an open wound on the entire
0: fucking I world. I, want, I want to connect this to <clears throat> um w- no, no, Sorry. that's that's perfect. <laughs> Uh, i want to connect this <laughs> i want to connect this to um something that won't make us heal which is this election uh I-, I think like that you know um there is just like i mean so much bullshit as i was go as i was reading it like they just you could hear me like just saying like oh yeah like this certain passages that were just like yeah this is bullshit but this is very joe biden like this is a very Joe Biden and Kamala Harris statement because, yeah. you know, if you're if you've been paying attention to like some of the 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 polling and um the the electoral paths and scenarios uh, to a Biden Harris victory in 2020, um, so Bi- Biden basically needs to recover the states that Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, largely because of lack of turnout, and so far like. Mm-hmm you know some of the information's been coming out about like early voting and mail in ballots and especially with young voters age ages 18 to 29 there's been a huge uptick in turnout for early mail in ballots and and also um 18 to 29 year olds in 40 out of 50 states uh they're leaning toward Biden like by a huge so um but you know when you go state by state and you're looking at like counting up the you know turnout and especially the ele- electoral map with the electoral college because we still have this fucking thing called the electoral college that we haven't got we which it
1: which yeah which is designed to exactly. subvert democracy this is not exactly. a democratic system a, a, the founding fathers hated democracy and they tried to create the least democratic electoral yeah. system possible and yep.
0: and, and because of that um to win in 2020 Joe Biden really really needs Pennsylvania he really needs it and so Philadelphia being in Pennsylvania in this shooting and these protests happening in Philadelphia um this as sort of just asinine as this statement is it feels very calculated because basically, Joe Biden, he's not talking to black people, he's talking to white people. He's talking to white people in suburbs outside of Philadelphia, and
1: Which, which, which are, is, I mean, in ter- as far as like racist suburbs go, that's I feel like that. Oh,
0: it—it no, like I, like I said, I have family out in Philadelphia, and um, <clears throat> I have a few cousins who are like, among the very few black people who live in some of those suburbs, but um i mean i've been out there and yeah very white and um if you're black it's very easy to stick out let's let's just say let's just say that it's very very easy to stick out in those areas so joe biden is talking to those people like he needs he needs to basically reassure their confidence in him
1: because that yeah they are the base of the new democratic party i mean this is literally chuck schumer was Mm -hmm. talking about yeah for you know we pick up two in the philadelphia suburbs so yeah this is like their little carefully tended garden is literally the philadelphia suburbs that is like the linchpin of their entire electoral strategy which is to win over white suburban voters who would normally go trump but are but are just kind of tired of trump Mm -hmm. being an idiot and you know hopefully and like Biden's senility isn't enough of a turnoff, but yeah, those people are exactly the people who you know they they understand Black Lives Matter, but they don't agree with right
0: exactly right right. That's the thing up. is like they in theory agree with Black Lives Matter because you know they're supposedly more. Just they're intellectually superior to you know southern conservatives but you know they don't like all that you know looting and rioting and so like joe biden and kamala harris this is so them especially kamala harris being you know with her harsh record as a san francisco da (laughs)
1: yeah 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 that it was was definitely harris we put in the looting is a crime okay oh i i i thought today was legal loot day yeah never mind Oh, it's a crime, you say. I was not aware of that until now. Thank you. Thank you, Top and, Top. And
0: top then top also here. Joe Biden, who is, you know, the author of the 94 Crime Bill and has a history of working with Southern segregationists like Strom Thurmond. Um, This is very much them because, like, this is their – this is who they are. This is their style. Like, Kamala Harris being very harsh when it comes to uh, criminal justice, the criminal legal system – And Joe Biden being like the forefather of our modern mass incarceration system. And that's, especially Joe Biden, like this is who he is. Like he is that white Democrat who knows how to speak to Southern white people and suburban white people with racist views. That is Joe Biden. So like, you know, when when people say that um, Trump, you know appeals to racist white voters that's true but you know what so does joe biden like they he,
1: uh, and they're and they're the most important people right. in the election is 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 racist right right and government. so
0: this this that statement is very much tailored to appeal to that crowd because joe biden knows that he needs to win get their vote and get him on his side so that he can win pennsylvania for 2020 because pennsylvania is very very crucial and so far i've seen pennsylvania is leaning democratic like he has a a lead in pennsylvania but he still needs to you know uh uh ramping up um turnout in pennsylvania in other states uh in order to to secure like a very um confident electoral win
1: now, now you might think, "Oh, well, couldn't they also?" I mean, I don't know the specific demographic of breakdowns, but couldn't they also improve turnout? You know, since especially black turnout was la- was lagging in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. and they tried to use that as a reason Hillary Clinton lost. Couldn't maybe they should try to boost black turnout by supporting a black agenda? But here, but here's the thing: is that the entire crux of oh, who is the swing voter that we need to cater to? Oh, that's just a vehicle, right? Exactly, for
0: ideology. right. The whole time, right.
1: The whole time, it was just a vehicle for ideology, and we, you know, a good way of blaming all of America's problems. Yeah, on the it, people, and yeah, exactly,
0: it, exactly, and that's a really good, uh, an important point. I'll, I'll touch on that, and then we can kind of segue into what's going on in Nigeria and sort sort of make these connections, um, b- because. I think like what happened to kind of contextualize what happened in the '80s during the Reagan era. Um, there, there were those um, Reagan Democrats, like those white people who were in the Democratic Party, but they started voting for Reagan. And what was happening around the time is that, um, like, there is definitely some tension in the '80s and the '90s when it came to the Democratic Party and the black vote because there were, were a lot of white people who they didn't like black people making too much progress particularly like post civil rights and in the 80s a lot of democrats like the democrats they were losing white voters and so i'm sure you guys remember like the willie horton ad in the 1988 election um so, <laughs>
1: uh no i don't think <laughs> so the
0: will so that. let's let's I get to okay, okay so the willie horton ad, i'll bring up the willie horton ad. so this so michael dukakis was running um against uh george hw bush um in 1988 and he was a black man who was uh a convicted felon who um uh oh yeah he was serving a life sentence for murder without the possibility of parole but he was able to go through the Massachusetts furlough program, um, but the thing is, during his furlough, furlough program, uh, when he was re- sorry when he bleh, when he was re- released on furlough, um, he committed like an assault, armed robbery, and and rape, and so um, because Michael Dukakis, yeah, he was um, the governor of Massachusetts at the time. Of Horton's release through the furlough program, but Dukakis didn't start the furlough program, but he did support furloughs as like a method of criminal rehabilitation. So the uh, the George H. W. Bush the campaign. Thanks to thanks to Lee Atwater, and was, I think it's largely this is largely his idea. They use the uh, the ad of Willie Horton and his mugshot to basically blame Dukakis for Horton going out like basically raping and and committing armed robbery.
1: And and if you vote for Dukakis, it will happen. It, it was it was dog wife,
0: it so. was dog whistle politics. And the thing is, like during the 80, 80s and nineties, the crime problem that was happening. Which was largely precipitated by um, the crack, co- crack cocaine epidemic in the '80s. The face of crime was black people, and so it was playing on white America's fears of scary criminal black people. And that ad worked, and it helped um, George H. W. Bush win the 1988 election. And uh, Duca.
1: No, he didn't need a lot of help. Cause yeah, Dukakis was
0: a yeah, party. I mean, Dukakis like sucked. He but. he he ate shit on the, in nineteen eighty eight. Okay. But my point is that um, Joe Biden has always been one of those Democrats who can speak to those kinds of white people who would watch the Willie Horton ad and be scared of black criminals. That's always been Joe Biden. He he's always been the white Democrat who can talk to those white people. That because the thing is, like one of Joe Biden's like major arguments for the 1994 crime bill is that hey, you know what, Democrats, we can be tough on crime too. In fact, we can be even tougher on crime than the Republicans. That was Joe Butt. Ba-
1: whatever that whatever that means to be tough on crime, it doesn't mean putting a lot of people in jail. Uh, you know. That's not, yeah, that's not, like, it didn't, it pretty clearly didn't work. It was all just, yeah, it was all just uh, people boosting their electoral profile at the expense of other mm-hmm. people's lives. Um uh, so yeah, it's, but that, but that's, uh, that's all Biden. And, you know, hopefully we'll get to see that next. Yeah,
0: and there. that, that'll uh, transition us actually to the, Um, protests in nigeria which they're still going on but they've kind of died down as as far as i know the um protest to nsars the special anti-robbery squad in uh, nigeria which is responsible just for like rampant amounts of police brutality violence and corruption in nigeria um so
1: yeah yeah i yeah i was reading some stuff or and And, like, there are even some YouTube people who, like, relate their own experiences with SARS. And they are just basically, uh, you know, just, like, goons who who will just, who just, like, will come up to you and, like, basically steal your phone or, you know, do any, do a whole horror of worse things um, if you, you know, get, you know, talk back to them. I mean, you know, they learn from the best. But I, I would, I think you know before we get into that i feel like some context of like nigeria itself
0: is. yeah i'll I'll just give like a very brief overview but i think it'll like not specifically about nigeria about about the african continent that i think is important um so when um what's now considered the african union but it was previously the organization of african states like so the whole idea of like pan-africanism is essentially like uniting the african continent um sorry is an organiza- organization of african unity right okay yeah sorry um yeah that was it was established in on may 25th 1963 and there were two sort of i guess you could say uh camps when it came to how this um basically this union would look like so there was the Monrovia group or the Monrovia bloc um and their vision of africa and pan-africanism was basically that africa's um africa should keep as independent nation states but they could just like kind of cooperate Um, but there would be no like larger political federation like a united states of africa like basically it would be like okay each independent african country just does its own thing but we kind of just work together essentially and there there's the principle of like non-interference um and and to to go even okay to go even further if you remember like one of our previous episodes uh the modern borders of africa were drawn up by the europeans during the Berlin Conference of the early 1880s. So um, the country we call Nigeria, the borders were drawn up by the British. So the nation state of Nigeria and the, the borders were pretty much, yeah, drawn up by the British. Same with Ghana, Mali, like all these other countries, the borders are, were drawn by, drawn up by the Europeans. So the Monroe group was basically like, okay, we'll just keep these borders and just like, you know, each state is independent and does its own thing, but doesn't really, like, interfere in the affairs of other states. The Casablanca group was the more radical one. The, this, the Casablanca group, they were more um, Pan-African and more... Um, they are more left-leaning, and that included uh, countries like Algeria, Egypt, Ghana, Tanzania, Guinea, Libya, Mali, and Morocco. And then... Um, uh, the Monrovia group is based like a bunch of the other countries. So Nigeria, most of the French speaking African countries like Senegal and Cameroon, um, Liberia and others. The Monrovia group like was larger in terms of numbers of, of the fifty of the of the over fifty um African countries. Uh, so but the Casablanca group, they wanted a real United States of Africa with all the African states working together for a common foreign policy and a common vision. Whereas the Monrovia group, like they had a more, like, I guess you could say fragmented idea. But anyway, the Monrovia group, they won out. So their vision of like what African unity looks like was institutionalized in what we now call, what is now called the African Union. Anyway, I want to set up that context because a lot of the leaders in Africa are basically like, I guess you could say like they're essentially neo-colonial kleptocracies because they still maintain neo-colonial relations with their former colonizers, especially Britain and France. And this is especially important for the context of Nigeria and SARS because you will never guess who helped train SARS. Britain. Yeah. United Kingdom. They helped they helped yeah. train SARS like they gave them training and weaponry so yeah, the UK government actually admitted to training Nigeria's uh, SARS police unit so th- this is so SARS basically is like an example of the ongoing neocolonialism and neocolonial relationship that yeah. Africa still has with Europe so SARS, this police unit and the institutions that still exist in Africa are essentially holdovers from European colonialism in Africa. So in that sense, you could say like the African countries have self rule, but they don't have full independence from the West.
1: No, no. I mean, this you know, the, basically the, uh, the trade off that was made and Nigeria was one of the countries that didn't have that, didn't have like a violent struggle for independence it was just sort of handed over basically like yeah the european colonialists the the finance capitalists and monopolists they under you know they made the calculation they're like well you know fine we can give them independence if it's not going right. to fuck up our money as long as they're still they understand their role in the world economy. exactly and you know a big part of that is uh is yes training the security forces to treat you know basically to treat the working class like they're still right. in a colony i mean that let's be real because here's the thing about nigeria it's huge i was just looking up the landmass it is bigger mm-hmm. than texas it's two. it's the biggest country in africa uh in terms of population over 200 million people and if nigeria you know there's a lot of, if you talk to Nigerians, they'll say, you know, there's a lot of, corru- or at least a lot of the diasporic ones, they'll say, you know, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of problems, um, and I always think, and think about this, right, like, if Nigeria ever, quote unquote, got its shit together, right, and like, solved all of its internal problems, it would be yes. world power, like, that would be extremely hard it's, it's, to mess Especially with because
0: everybody. Nigeria has a lot of oil <laughs> as well.
1: Yeah. Yes, it has a lot. Yes, it is the it is Africa's largest economy, and y- believe me, like you know, England only has like eighty, or the UK only has like eighty million people. Same thing with France and, and Germany. Like, it, like if a nation like Nigeria were able to sort of overcome all of its, you know, neo-colonial hangups, then it would be. a a force to be dealt with and best believe the west understands this and so they are kind of in there um you know not in very obvious ways but also in sort of you know through imf loans and encouraging you know coups and just that suppress uh socialist movements which nigeria had a number of and all and you know now ngos as means to manage things because I will say that as far as I can tell, this is a pretty significant moment in Nigerian history and that it is like kind of the largest protest movement post-independence or at least in since civilian rule in 1999. And that's a big deal. But it also is like, you know, just in many ways, just like the George Floyd protests where You know, it was it was very exciting for a little while when the sort of all the foundations and liberal institutions were caught flat-footed, and they you know before they stepped in to manage it. I mean, there's definitely going to be movements. I mean, this that that's how you get like Hillary Clinton supporting stuff like this. It's not because it's it's not because it's well, it's precisely because there's not you know at least in the messaging directed towards the west no attacking of the Mm neo-colonial system you know it's 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 framed as like yeah this you know this kind of color revolution revolution of rising expectations that you know gets this happens in all sorts of countries It showed up in lebanon and like yet there are there's genuine political discontent and you know, discontent at the state of the economy among the youth, lot high unemployment, stuff like that. But also, they just hate the system in general because they understand that it exactly. doesn't work for them. But but then it always gets somehow messaged as yes, no, these youth they just want right. good government. They're revolting in the street for good government, right. you know, or whatever. Uh, and the rule of law and all these other sort of liberal bromides, and it's like. I don't. I don't. Necessarily. I mean, certainly some people are. There's certainly some of those types in any any country, but I don't think that's necessarily the crux of what's going on. But in order for it to be handled, and you know, be able to be managed by NGOs and that, you know, the human rights industrial complex, let's Mm. call
0: it, it has to be framed. Yeah, and and like, I'm glad you brought the corruption part because if, especially if you look at a lot of the narratives about Africa like, the most common thing people talk about is, like, oh, Africa's full of corruption. And, like, the way it's framed is that, like, Africa is framed in a way that, like, Africa is naturally corrupt. Like, there's something just naturally and endemically uh, like, corrupt about Africans. Like, that. that's, that's kind of the narrative, but that's why I brought up the context of of Africa's, like, you know, independence, especially in the context of the Organization of African Unity which later became the African Union, which is that you had all these nations that again, like the borders were drawn up by the Europeans, and then there's independence and also at at that time of independence there were there were links between the civil rights movement here in the United States and Af- independence in Africa. Like that that was going on. Like that was part of the milieu of black politics at the time that often gets written like is definitely written out of the history and people don't really talk about it but at the time like you know that's why Malcolm X went to Africa and was meeting with uh, Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana so um uh, but and, and, and yeah like the when people say like pan-Africanism failed in Africa like there's no context given to that what happened is that was essentially independence became self-rule under neocolonialism because as peter pointed out like in terms of the the europeans still have a significant control over uh the economies of africa because they're trying because europe still relies on natural resources in africa for their own economies and they want to they want to maintain that relationship between europe and africa
1: Exactly, because the thing
0: is, is as a continent in terms of the resources it it has, Africa does not need Europe. Europe needs Africa. Africa doesn't need Europe, but but those those uh, neo colonial institutions are kept in place to maintain that relationship. So essentially, essentially, basically. That relationship is maintained so that Europe can keep sucking Africa of its resources. That's that's the point. And so the way that – like when people talk about corruption in Africa, I think it's really – that's a symptom of neocolonialism in Africa. Because you have these rulers who are just looking out for themselves and they can maintain their good buddy-buddy relationships with the West while the masses of the people in their countries are suffering.
1: Which, which is, which for all the con- consternations that the West offers, like, they all, they'd much rather have, you know, some selfish kleptocrat or whatever than any kind of ruler who's actually fighting for their people. Right. That's and that's it. Very a, clear. The, they, we know what they Well, I mean, ones.
0: like the namesake of our podcast, Thomas Sankara. Like, yeah. Exactly you know, he he went up against, you know, he was going up against the IMF and, you know, France got rid of him pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so in some, some of the conversation among like um, diasporans, like black and African diasporans, like with the age of social media, it's, it's sparking some interesting conversations and people are making connections between police brutality in the United States and police brutality in Nigeria and how like black people across the world are catching hell from policing. And um th- th- But the thing is, like you know, as you were talking, uh, referring Peter, like that conversation gets left left out in like mainstream, like liberal NGO coverage of the issue. But like a lot of activists, both here in the United States and even Nigeria, like there's there's some interesting conversation going on, like back and forth from the diaspora to the continent. That I think. when i first heard about these protests that's what really sparked my interest is the the uh connections that people are making between um yeah sars and 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 before i forget like so nigeria did technically end sars but they're replacing it with swat (laughs) and they're supposed to like some people are saying like okay this is supposed to be like a Sort of better version of SARS. Like we got rid of SARS because that was all bad, no, but like but, this one's but, going to be better. So,
1: <laughs> no, I and 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 they see right yeah. through it. Honestly, mm-hmm. as far as right. I can tell, the 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 people in Nigeria see right yeah. through it. But after a while, but you know, then they just started using live ammunition. The the security forces did, and there's only so much of that people can take before they decide to go home, um, which is. Which is, you know, pretty horrifying, but it's also very much, like I said, a lot of those security tactics that these, that these governments use are, you know, they learn from the West. And I think probably even if they wanted to, you know, get out of those contracts, I, I don't think America would, or Britain or whoever would look too kindly on that. So they kind of have to do security cooperation training whether or not they want to. But it is definitely, I mean, yeah, the the diaspora, that is a very interesting, and I think important, that's why we wanted to spend more time on it this week, is, yeah, the ways in which it is sort of pulling together the diaspora of Nigerians, and then also the larger African diaspora in ways that is building back of that sense of internationalism that carried through the '60s, which is such an integral part of everyone's liberation. Yeah,
0: yeah, because like um, it, it really speaks to that Pan African spirit. That I, I was on Escape from Plan A co- a couple days ago, and uh, I was talking about Pan Africanism, and I think this is, you know, again, like in terms of how we talk about and even remember black history and black political history pan-africanism has always been around like i would say like pan-africanism as a philosophy really started with slave rebellions during the transatlantic slave trade like that's like if you really want to think of pan-african like that sense of um black african unity that transcends like language and borders and all that that sense of like, hey, like we're basically members of the same family. I think that spirit really started with the rebellions of enslaved Africans in the Americas. Like that's that's really when it started. And even some of the important forefathers of Pan Africanism were abolitionists, including here in the United States. So these kinds of conversations that are going on across the diaspora and continent about like people making these connections like that's harkening back to that spirit like that spirit never went away it's, i think like i was talking to one of my pan african elders in the all african peoples revolutionary party he was saying that like you look like, like pan africanism goes in waves like as a as a political current it goes in waves so 60s and 70s pan africanism was an actual serious political tendency um then like i'd say probably like the 80s 90s and 2000s like pan-africanism like became a lot more french and now in 2020 um i think even with like i think i think with the movie black panther i feel like that was a kind of like a mainstream modern like what a pan-african future would look like
1: well it yeah it's it's disney even having to recognize right
0: yeah and like mixed with afrofuturism so so again like my point is that like pan-africanism like doesn't it's not really dead it's it's a current that goes in waves so there are certain points in history where it's weak so i'd say like from i'd say like okay well i would say like after apartheid ended in south africa Pan-Africanism became weak because because, because like the yeah. the the anti-apartheid movement like a lot of African Americans were supporting that. So I say like when like apartheid in South Africa ended like in the early 90s like Pan-Africanism like subsided because I th- I think there was um people felt like there was less of a need for it as a political current among black people and Africans on the continent. But now I think since the first iteration of Black Lives Matter and then it back in like twenty fourteen and how that pretty much spread like across the world. And then now with the second wave in this pandemic and what's going on in with in Nigeria, I think we're kind of witnessing like sort of a new wave. Because I remember I wrote about this for Truth Out a couple of months ago, but it's something I've been noticing that I think because um in nigeria like nigerian youth are really jaded with the system and they rightfully see like yeah this system doesn't fucking work for us um and there are black people here in the united states where, like especially with this election i think people are misreading the whole like black men are supporting trump like this it's not really that what
1: that's that's yeah it really is but
0: what's really going on is that black people especially black men are looking at the two-party political system and saying, like, you know what, what the fuck do I get from this? Fuck this shit. Like, people are... I think black people, like, especially after Obama, that, like, we put all our hope in this guy in having a black president, and black people got nothing. Um, Now, with Trump and this pandemic and the George Floyd shooting, like, I'm noticing a lot more black people just look at the system and just be like, you know, fuck this shit. And I think to like to some extent, like a minority of black Trump supporters, like black male Trump supporters, I think their trump support is not really like they like Trump. It's just they're so fucking pissed off of the system that like them voting for Trump is like, "He, yeah, fuck you, I'm just gonna throw a wrench in in this shit, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, they're black right,
0: and yeah, yeah ed- edge lordism, um right. i I would also even add in like a form of um accelerationism. Like, you know how they're, like, you know, some people say, like, oh, there are left-wing accelerationists who want Trump in office to, like, accelerate the revolution. Like, there's, like, a tiny minority of, like, black people who are kind of thinking the same. But my point is that that feeling comes from, like, real legitimate frustration with the status quo. And I think because, like, the the system is just clearly not working for the masses of black people, I think there are more black people who are looking at pan-Africanism as, like a serious political alternative for the black struggle here in the United States. And I think like, I think that's what's um, driving the conversations across the diaspora, especially because we have the internet. It's so much easier to talk to people instantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the other thing that, yeah, the internet and social media, especially, I mean, it can lead to a lot of stupidity, but it also allows for these kinds of di- diasporic conversations. That haven't really ever been able to play out in real time before, and that can be profoundly powerful. And we hope that uh, it can continue to move in that direction towards internationalism and solidarity, and not towards uh, liberalism and yeah. adaptation. So, you know, we'll we'll definitely you know keep our eyes on what's going. Uh, right. Let's uh,
0: let's. I mean, we're getting close to end, but yeah, Peter, why don't we transition to your experience? voting and we'll wrap this um, up with some election shit
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we're um yeah i voted yesterday or wednesday or whatever um early voting which is they called in-person absentee <laughs> voting so like i filled out an abs i waited in line to get an absentee ballot and then fill it out and drop it and i may also just say and i don't care if it sounds a little kooky but I think it's something people need to be aware of is, like, everyone who's all like, you need to vote by mail, like, you're kind of getting rid of the secret ballot, aren't you? Because, like, I don't know, just seeing my name and then, like, a barcode on the ballot <laughs> made me think, like, huh, how hard would it be for them to just compile a list of, uh, you know, troublemakers and certain people and then just run it against You know, now they know that that ballot is yours. Like, that's what what happened to the secret ballot. I and I think that's probably how Republicans will come around to vote by mail. I'm sorry if that (laughs) seems out there, but I think it's something that is that that like shouldn't be just kind of ignored. And all this whole like, no, we just all should just vote by mail. Um, I think that's creating a new. It's going to create a new set of problems. There isn't like one specific way out of the, the a- inherently anti-democratic nature of the American political system, there isn't sort of one easy fix, be it, you know, vote by mail or even ranked choice voting, which I did um, because Maine actually has ranked choice voting, um, which is, I think, good, but also, like, it doesn't solve the problem, but it at least does let you, like, uh, vote for, you know, the Green Party first, but yeah waiting an hour and a half in 40
0: degrees
1: you know it was almost snowing um yeah well it is oh right yeah (laughs) sure it's pretty cold but it's you know i was just like you know luckily i had my vape pen, but i it just reminded me like that that is what you're asking that is what a lot of people have to deal with and it's completely absurd and to say, yeah, you need to do that for someone who hates you and does it and will never act in your interest and is actively hostile to them because that's your responsibility. And if you don't do it, this is your fault. Like that amount of shaming and scolding when the like American electoral system is in the state that it's in. And yes, for some people, you can just walk in about 10 minutes and then like it's fine. But some sometimes that's fine. Sometimes it isn't. And you don't actually know which one it's going to be on election day, depending on where you live. So it, that's that's the thing where it's like, you know, because I I the, the level of vote <laughs> pressuring has increased not just from like kind of the typical usual suspects, but it's from like every single brand. I see that shit in Walmart. I saw, it, I heard it like on the new, on like the alternative rock radios, like you need huh. to vote, like. Like, all these, you know, like, even South Park, like, is joining in. Uh, You know, the people who created the, who made the douche and turd episode about how voting is stupid. It's like, no, everyone is like, no, you need to vote this time. And whatever. Vote if you want to vote. But also, if you, like, I can never, I don't understand how anyone can ever, like, shame someone for not wanting to, like, go through that experience for something that, like, just does not. That that is not going to improve their lives right. in any way, and that's that's the thing that I just that like really bugs me, and it's just yeah, this whole fucking, this whole you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I honestly feel like it's going to be anticlimactic. We're not going to get like the you know worst apocalyptic version of what could happen, just because I think everyone's kind of done with it, and no one really as a fight, and the, the shit the Trump campaign is running right now is really, like, bottom of the barrel. Like, yeah, getting Lil Pump, <laughs> and just, like, yeah, so and Lil, and Lil Wayne. Um, that's that's well, what they're doing right I now. I mean, but like, but Trump,
0: uh, what people forget is that if you look at Donald Trump's, like, history before he became president, he's always, you know, as a socialite, been very cool. Like, he's been very, like, kind of close-knit in celebrity circles and had like cordial relationships and close relationships with black celebrities. So like that, that's that why like in the ice cube episode, why I was saying that, um, you know, he doesn't represent black people because like, you know, like I, I don't really have any like issue with ice cube speaking out. But my main thing is that he shouldn't be seen as like a representative of black people because he's still part of that celebrity class that donald trump uh you know like he's still part of that club like as a reality tv star is like that that's that's who he is so for him to have black celebrities like a select few of black celebrities endorse him yeah it sucks but it's not surprising because like he knows how to navigate those circles like he he's always been really cool with like you know I mean, Diddy doesn't like him anymore, but like, I mean, he, you know, he he was in. I think he, he and Diddy had like a picture together. Like, he's always been in those circles with black celebrities, like because yeah. you know he, those are like the the black celebrity class that's all into you know fame and wealth and all that shit, and that's how Donald Trump. He's always been like that. That's just who he is. So, you know, I I, I want people to look yeah. at, look at, look at that. Look at the optics of uh, black celebrity supporting Trump through a critical lens. That like it's not something that really represents like the heart and soul of the black masses. It's just
1: yeah, I I, I don't think anyone thinks Lil Pump is speaking for the.
0: I mean, like, masses. well, the sort of I would, I would the blue check kind of class, like they're, they're yeah. trying to spin it that way. But yeah, people, I think with you know yeah. some sense in their head, like are. A little more they can see through it
1: yeah i yeah I, I i was just bringing up to show like this is not this is not something that firing that's firing on all cylinders and so you know it's the way it breaks we you know we very very much we may very well much whatever <clears> it's late <throat> uh end up with joe biden um and like people are bragging and they can't wait to go back to sleep, and it's like it's none of this is gonna change, and like that is the thing that it's running on. But it's just, I don't know. I I don't. It's I just I just like this whole week just been feeling like this cannot be it. Like like this like we cannot go down this like this. You know we can't go out this way. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like oh yeah, well Joe Biden is charged, you know. Whatever he promises the left, like, yeah, that's all we're going to get. And we'll all just, you know, take our ball, go home, go back to brunch. Unless you have to work weekends, unless you're the people serving the brunch, uh, then you don't get to go back to brunch. You know, the, the brunch is a tell when people talk about going back to brunch. Um, and uh, I just I don't know. It's just there's, there's got to be a, ne- a second act or something. there's 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 gotta be more this can't be it this can't just be like everything everyone went through for four years and then it's just like oh and back to normal all right well we'll just let's just forget all that happened let's just go back to pretending we live Hmm. in the greatest country in the world where everything is great And if you ever are upset about anything then um you are ungrateful and you need to leave and you can't complain about anything Because, you know, third world children are dying to live here or they're dying because (laughs) of here. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just I think people I think the people that think that like, oh, well, we won't have to deal with that anymore, are completely misreading the moment. And, you know, it's certainly, you know, the election of Joe Biden is not going to cause me or or Adam, (laughs) I presume i feel pretty safe in saying it's not going to cause either of us to you know go to go back oh, to sleep no. or anything <laughs> um but it'll it you know it but it's just like i think i think americans just have a hard time understanding that like they're you know this this country and this empire is not immortal yeah and it's not going to last forever and it's on its way down yeah. and it could take two years or it could take 200 years. Fair point. But I don't, it, I think it'll start to drop a lot more precipitously precisely because the rest of the world isn't going to just wait around for us to do nothing and take the rest <laughs> of the world down with us. They have a yeah. say in this too, you know, and you know, if we can try and tie everything in, you know, those, those mo- these, the youth movements in, uh in Africa and other global South And in global south countries not in africa make sure i said that right um in nigeria and such like one of the reasons that liberal foundations like uh you know like fetishize them so much is because they do on some level represent the massive amount of power and desires and wishes for the actual majority of the world to get out of this neo-colonial hellscape that is keeping them all in poverty. And of course, you know, it of course is hilariously co-opted by the very same forces forces that keep them in poverty, but that desire and the fact that these are free people, like that doesn't go away. And you can't get those people back under, you know, control again. And they're, they they they're going to have something to say about it. And they will ha- and, you know, Americans we are. We don't really want to fight for this stuff. I. We don't. I mean, we like the convenience of the empire. But when push comes to shove, are people really going to mount up like on mass and fight and fight China or what? Whoever. No. I mean, I think so. I think that you know that we are a fifth of the way through the twenty first century, and if you compare like what had happened in the first twenty years of the last two centuries it's been pretty quiet and this was probably the first year where like these these sort of century long historical forces have started to wake up you know after we went around proclaiming the end of history everywhere and you know this is just going to this is really only the beginning and things are not going to get better and so you know i guess if you need to go back to sleep to take a little nap so you can be up for uh, for prime time fine but it, people need people need to understand that there's there's no putting the genie back in the toothpaste tube to egregiously mix metaphors like 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 we're in history like this is it. This is how it felt 100 years ago, you know, 70 years ago, 200 years ago, where like the entire world, you don't understand what's going to happen and you it could all go away tomorrow. We have are at least in the United States. Even, I think, among colonized peoples, there is still just the sense of, like, these structures and these edifices are never going to change. And they are, they are going to change pretty rapidly, pretty significantly. And, you know, all we can try and do is hope that they change in good ways and not the ways that the people currently in power would want them to. So, Ransom. Yeah, uh,
0: um, I mean, just... We're getting close to the end, but just to uh, kind of provide an update. Well, Amy Coney Barrett um, has been appointed Supreme Court Justice to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and um,
1: and all the Lululemon's yeah, they their anger.
0: tweeted their asses off and posted, and that's their resistance. Like the Democrats, you know, they didn't they didn't do anything to really let, let, resist.
1: Leave, leave no soul cycle. You know, standing. so.
0: Uh, yeah we have a six to three conservative majority in the Supreme Court and uh, this ties to Peter's point about how you know yeah we're at a very kind of precarious time and we can't obviously can't rely on the institutions to really do much but also like the sort of ways of thinking about uh, politics and political change like we're going to have to change those as well and basically i think like especially for black people and colonized people um you can't really look to the settler left for answers because they don't have any <laughs> no. um i was talking to a uh, teen from uh uh escape from plan a about this we're we're talking about it on like dming and he had a, actually he had a really good thread on this twitter thread um I'll link it in the show notes because it's a really good thread. I just encourage everyone to just read it. But um, basically kind of gets to the same point that like, you know, people from, yeah, like non-white nations of people, like the thing that was, was always been like a strain, like this time, this actually ties into Pan-Africanism. You know, Teens' point was that like nationalism and national liberation has always been part of left projects. Throughout the world, but for like in America, the white left shuns nationalism because they equate all nationalisms with white nationalism. But even the people that they support, like Evo Morales, like have some sort of nationalistic, like sentiment for their left project. Same with Thomas Sankara, like there was a nationalistic national, like sentiment to his. Left project and Pan Africanism. It's not really nationalistic because it's, it's it's crosses like nation borders. But there's a similar kind of spirit well, behind it.
1: Well, well, you can have inter- internationalism without
0: right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there's like like to basically go to Pan Africanism. Pan Africanism. You have to go through Black Nationalism essentially. You have to go through the Black Nationalist phase and then get to Pan Africanism. But like you don't. If you're Pan African, you don't write off black nationalism. It's just like a step above it, basically. But um b- but but the, the point is the reason why I mentioned that conversation is that, you know, if if you're trying to liberate yourself, national liberation is part of it. And the reason why I like like especially for people of African descent, um, part of our liberation struggle is not just tearing down the systems that oppress us, but also um, maintaining our culture and way of life that remind us of who we are as a people. Um, in the case of people of African descent, it's, it's also making sense of the parts of our identities that have been separated by slavery and colonization. But that is how you humanize yourself as a colonized subject is through that sense of national consciousness like as part of the process of liberating yourself when you're living in a world that constantly dehumanizes you so i say that to make the point that you know as we're thinking you know forward like we can't forget the traditions of our ancestors and who came before us who helped paved the way for where we're at and when peter talks about history like that's part of history like we're continuing where they left off basically and that's how i see myself i'm continuing where my enslaved ancestors left off when it came to the fight for freedom like this is just the next step and uh yeah we don't know where the fuck we're going like you know 2020 because like yeah like i don't know like what the fuck is going to happen
1: yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's part of revolutionary right. revolutionary movement is doing something. That right. Exactly.
0: That but it's before. also like you know, um, remembering um, the customs and, and traditions of your ancestors and people who came before you, and and that's yeah. that's very crucial. And that's something I I always take to heart. It's just basically my point is that like the the struggle we're fighting that I'm involved in now, like, is a continuation of that freedom struggle. Like it's it's ongoing, and even yeah. like. Other older Pan-Africanists will say like, hey, this is a long distance race. Like, don't expect, you know, it to happen immediately. Although you never know, like with historical forces and conditions, sometimes things can just happen very, very quickly. You don't know. But the idea is that like, you have to be in this for the long haul. Like, that's that's it. Like, you're in this for the long haul. And, um, you know, don't look at the settler left for answers because... Hey, we tried and uh, didn't work. So, <laughs> uh, but it actually, yeah, that's a good way to end. Yeah, don't, don't, don't rely on a settler left for answers. And I think like the, the stuff like what's going on in Nigeria and Bolivia and even uh, yo, shout out to Chile for having a new fucking constitution. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Can we get one of these? <laughs> I would love a new constitution. Get rid of that fucking. Rag. I mean, that'd be nice. Actually,
0: that would be like. That'd be good. That'd be, I'd be good.
1: I, I'd, be, yeah. I'd be a lot happier. If,
0: That's um, the yeah.
1: If we could start, if we could just get real about that fucking stupid piece of paper. I'm sorry, you, I. It's all. It is. You know, worthy of wiping your ass with. Fuck the Constitution. I've said it. Well, let's get a new one. Let's get a new one. Like constitutions aren't supposed to last 200. I mean, even
0: months. as much of a piece of shit as he was, Thomas Jefferson even understood that. So. Like, yeah. <laughs> is this, this is not like a, the idea of having a new constitution. I mean, look, we have amendments, so that's close. So, you know, at this point, it's, no, I mean, no. it's, it's like half, quarter way close. But the idea is like, look, if you can amend the constitution, you can have a new constitution. Like, too late.
1: Yeah, yeah let's, just admit, yeah, let's just have a new one, because yeah. this one sucks. And it is a big part of the problem, of yeah. all of our problems. It's a huge part. I mean, look. A, hey,
0: look. Yeah. In the context of having a six-three majority on the Supreme Court, I mean, at this point, look, that should be on the table. If people are going to talk about packing the court, hey, let's yeah. talk about like a new constitution. So, like that's worth. I I think okay. that's worth putting on the table. But yeah, no. Like shout out to Chile for you know new constitution. But you know those those are things yeah. like you know the movements that Peter's referring to in the Global South. Like those are things to take inspiration from. Um, for uh, uh, those of us who are black folks and colonized subjects living in the belly of the beast, that's something to take inspirations from. We are at an hour 14. Yeah. I think that's a good note to end on. What do you think, Peter?
1: Yeah, no.
0: Perfect. All right, so, um, yeah, uh, that that concludes this episode of Real Sankara Hours. Um, yeah, we talked about um, both police killing of walter wallace jr in philadelphia the protests and riots in philadelphia um, the election the protests in nigeria over against police violence and ongoing neo neocolonialism um, yeah and obviously yeah we talked about the election and shit moving forward so yeah please support independent black media your support means a lot thank you so much to our patrons but this is a free episode so if you liked this episode five dollars a month gets you uh, double the content, bonus episodes, theory reading, um, bonus interviews, uh bonus rants. Uh, we've been discussing Walter Rodney lately. So and and Guns, Guns and, and Roses. Roses so, so if you want to know our you know uh discussions and takes on those five dollars a month at patreon.com slash real hours again patreon.com slash real hours follow us on Twitter at Sankar Hours um, and please support the rest of the Resistance Walk crew because, you know, they all of us, like, we're all doing some really dope-ass shit. So, anyway.
1: Yeah, special shout-out to yes. Afrogen Revolt.
0: Yeah, A- Afrogen Revolt, Drop Squad, thing. all of all of y'all. Um, please support them as well, especially if you like our stuff. So, anyway, we're going to sign out. Keep the faith. Peace. It's
1: dangerous. Howdy.